You know, one of my biggest frustrations as a pastor is seeing people like when they go to a new restaurant or they find a new store to shop at, just how crazy passionate they get for it. Now, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but why is it that so many people, especially those that call themselves followers of Jesus, don't have that same type of passion? You know, when people go to a restaurant, man, they're posting it on Facebook and they're telling everybody, man, you need to eat there. It's like got the best food in the world. I mean, they're just so pumped up about it. And, you know, they find a store to shop at and they're like telling all their coworkers, oh, you got to shop there. You're going to find so many great bargains. It's just this passion for a restaurant, a passion for a store. But yet when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to his church, there's not nearly that kind of passion. Or I've talked about this before when it comes to like sports teams. Again, there's nothing wrong with following sports, but so many people, they live and die by their sports team. I mean, you know, they're, they're talking about it and they're, they're reading about their team and, and they're just, you know, buying merchandise and they're going to the games and when they're at home watching the games or when they're at the stadium watching the game, they're jumping up and down and they're cheering and their arms, you know, pumping in the air and shouting and screaming and clapping. But then you get the church and it's like, And again, that, that's such a frustration for me as a pastor that this God that is so crazy in love with us that he came and he died for us, we like, that's something I'm going to keep to myself. And I'm not going to get passionate about that. And you know, I, I talked about this a little bit back in the Not a Fan series a couple months ago. I think I know the, the reason behind all this. And it's that you will never truly do what God wants you to do. In other words, you won't share your faith and get excited about telling other people about how Jesus has changed you. You won't invite people to come to church with you. You won't freely worship God when we have the music here on Sunday mornings. You'll never truly do what God wants you to do until you understand who he is. Once you truly just recognize how big and great and awesome our God is, then you'll get excited. Then you'll get passionate about him. And so instead of me just saying I'm frustrated about it and complaining about it, I decided, you know, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to take six weeks where I'm just going to share with you who is God, who is Jesus. And hopefully as you fall in love with this great, big, awesome God, the passion for him will just start to, to bubble right out of you. And you'll start to do the things that God wants you to do, not because you have to, but because you want to. You just can't help but have a passion for him. And it just sort of, again, bubbles right out. Now, this series we're calling Crazy Love, it's based off of a book by the same name, Crazy Love by Francis Chan. And if you get a chance to read it at some point, I'd encourage you to, to do that. As we just saw a little bit ago in the video, and as Bill mentioned, we also have life groups that are just discussing this whole thing. And so I'd really encourage you to get in one of these. Just really, really passionately fall in love with Jesus in these next six weeks. As we get started today, let me give you a quote from the book. And, and actually, Francis Chan is quoting John Piper, who's a famous pastor. And he asked this great question. It's there on your outline if you're following along. John Piper asks, if you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends that you've ever had on the earth and all the food that you ever liked and all the leisure activities that you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties that you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Jesus was not there? Now, I really want you to stop and think about that for a second. All your friends are there. 
Your family's there. There's no suffering. There's no sickness. All the pleasures of this world that you ever enjoyed, you have there. Would you be content with all that if Jesus wasn't there? Now, I think our, our natural gut reaction right away would be to say, well, no, 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 no. I mean, that, you know, that's the spiritual answer, right? Then, no, I, I wouldn't do that. But I really want you to think about this. Because I think so many people, if we're being really, really honest, would say, you know what? Wow. All my friends, my family, all the pleasures, no suffering. And you may be tempted to say, yeah, I think I may take that. But the goal of this series is I want to get you so in love with who God is, who Jesus is, that you say, you know what? If Jesus isn't there, I don't want to be there. That really Jesus is the only thing in this world and in the next world that you need. That nothing else compares to him. But you know, our problem is this. According to the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, we as humans, we, we tend to worship the created things instead of worshiping the creator. We get so consumed with everything that we see here on the earth, everything that was created, that that's what we begin to worship. And that's why so many people get into, well, we need to save planet Earth, you know, and God is green. We all need to be green. God's not green. Kermit the Frog's green, okay? God's not green. God created the earth. We should be good stewards of the earth. But that's not where we're to worship. That's not to be our passion in life. Or people are like, well, we need to save the dolphins or we need to save the whales. No, you don't. People are what need to be saved, not animals. Or it's why people start to, you know, look to their horoscope and they start to look to the stars for their answers instead of the God who created the stars. It's why we as Americans get so caught up in trying to, to pursue the American dream. That's our passion, pursuing, getting ahead. We pursue that instead of pursuing God. And so Paul says this then in, in Romans 1, 21 and 22. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves in the silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. That's where so many people are. They're, they're illiterate when it comes to life. We think that we're smart, but we're really not, because if we're really smart, what we would do is just worship God with our whole being. And worship's more than just music, but a worship, uh, music's a part of it, but, but worship is just giving God your everything, your every thought, your every action, your, your, your everything at every moment of every day, that you're like, God, you are so big, you're so great, you're so awesome, I'm just giving you everything at every moment. But again, that's not how we treat him so often. We refuse to worship him, as Paul talks about here, and it gets us into trouble. So again, the goal of this series is to get you to worship and honor and glorify God, not because of anything that he can do for you, but just simply because of who he is. Now, King David in the Old Testament, he understood this. David was a, a man after God's own heart. And 
David gets to this point, at this one point, he's like, man, God is so great. God is so wonderful. He's so awesome. I'm going to write a song about it, he says. And so in Psalm chapter 8, we read this beautiful song that he wrote. If you want to turn in your Bibles, you can turn there. That's where we're going to hang out today. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It's there on your outline. It'll be on the screen. You can also get on your smartphone, go to the Version app, and look up exponentialchurch.tv, and you can follow all along on your phone as well. But uh, David writes this great song, and he's really reflecting on not only how awesome God is, but that God would want to interact with human beings like us, little small us. David says, man, that is so awesome. So let's look at it together. In Psalm 8, verse 1, David writes, Our Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. Now, we've talked about this before. Notice there that Lord is there twice at the beginning, but notice that it's different as far as capitalization. See how the first one, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and then the second one, it's just capital L. Again, we've talked about this before. Maybe you remember what we said. Anytime you see in the Bible all of the letters capitalized, that's referring to God's personal name, Yahweh. Anytime it's just capital L, it's referring to God in general. So literally what David is saying here is, Oh, Yahweh, our God, your majestic name fills the earth. Now, Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua, which is a derivative of Yahweh. And so we could say the same thing here with Jesus, that, oh, Jesus, our God, your majestic name fills the earth. What David's trying to get us to see here is that just even the name of God is greater than anything else. It really, really is. And as he writes this, he's trying to get us to see that God is great. God is majestic. David's saying that, Even the very name of God is greater than anything on this earth. The name of Jesus is greater than your house. Nice is what your house is. Just the name of Jesus is greater than that. Jesus is greater than your spouse. He's greater than your car. He's greater, ladies, than that new pair of shoes that you just had to buy recently because they were on sale. His name is greater than that big screen TV. Guys, that you bought so you could watch the Super Bowl in glorious high definition? Just the name of Jesus is greater than anything. David continues and he says, Your glory is higher than the heavens. So not only does he say that Jesus is the name above all names, but now he says that his glory is higher than than the heavens itself. Now you may say, Gilbert, what exactly does that mean? Because we hear that word glory in church a lot, don't we? Or we hear it in in sermons, we hear it in songs, that we sing about the the glory of God, and you're like, well, what exactly is the glory of God? I think the best way I could illustrate it for you is this way. You ever heard of somebody, and they're described as being filthy rich? You ever heard that before? What you're really saying there is, they're not just rich. They're filthy rich. Take whatever your definition of rich is, and they're beyond that. They're not just rich. They're filthy rich. And God's glory is sort of similar to that. God is love. God is honorable. God is great. God is 
good. God is majestic. God is beautiful. God is you fill in the blank. And what God's glory is, is take every definition that you have of each one of those words, multiply it by the biggest number that you can think of, and then God is even above and beyond that. That's what God's glory is. It's actually like a a heaviness, and not a heaviness in the sense of like a a, a sadness or anything, but a heaviness in just the weight of God, that he is so much greater, he's so much bigger than anything or anyone else. That's the glory of God. Again, he's beyond what even our mind can think of. And so David says that your glory is better than even the heavens. That goes back to the question I asked you at the beginning, that if you could have all of, you know, heaven, you could have it as this perfect utopia, but yet Jesus wasn't there, would you still take it? And what David is trying to get us to see here is that God himself is like way beyond heaven. That no matter what definition you have of heaven in your mind, how good you think it is, God is even greater than that. And that's why we should never, ever consider heaven without Jesus being there. Because heaven without Jesus being there is the literal definition of hell. Did you know that the worst part of hell isn't going to be the suffering? It's not going to be the weeping and the crying and the gnashing of teeth. That's not going to be the worst part. The worst part is that the presence of God will not be there. See, we should want nothing more in this earth and the life to come than just being in the presence of God. But yet again, we end up settling so often for created things and things that really don't matter. And we get passionate about things that really don't matter instead of this great, big, glorious God. Verses 2 and 3, David continues, and he says, With praises from children and from the tiny infants, you have built a fortress. It makes your enemies silent, and all who turn against you are left speechless. David continues, he says, I often think of the heavens that your hands have made, and of the moon, and of the stars that you've put into place. Francis Chan actually put together a video, and Steve, I didn't mention this to you. Can you get the lights for us? Uh, he put together a video a couple years back just talking about how great just the heavens are, talking about like celestial bodies, like the stars and the moon and everything. So take a look at this video. First of all, this is the earth, okay? It's just, just you're taking off from the earth from Southern California, and we're going we're gonna to rise up for a little bit here, okay? We're going to pull away from it. We're going to pull higher. Now, this is at about 10 kilometers Like if you climb Mount Everest, this is what you'd see. You'd see the curvature of the earth from that distance. Now you're going to climb up even higher. This is at 100 kilometers. And you're a fourth of the way to the space station now. This is what you'd see. If you get to this level, you're considered an astronaut. Just if you ever get there. Okay, now we're going 100,000 kilometers. 100,000 kilometers from the earth. You're a fourth of the way to the moon. That's what the earth would look like. Now we're going to pull away to a million kilometers. At a million kilometers, there's the moon. Okay? There's the moon. You can barely see the earth. You're at a million kilometers now. You're past the, past the moon. And uh, now we're going to go to a hundred million kilometers. A hundred million kilometers. You're still not to the sun. 
The sun's 93 million miles away. But now we're going to go to 10 trillion kilometers. Ten, there's the sun. Okay. You just passed the sun. Now you would see all of the planets at 10 trillion kilometers. And now we're at 10 to the 15th power. That means 10 with 15 zeros. I don't know what that number is. 15 zeros. And the sun's just like a bright dot amidst other stars. And now we're going to 10 light years away. At 10 light years away, come on, let's go. Zoom, there you go. 10 light years away, now you just see the sun with like 11 other stars that are kind of its neighbors. You know, that, 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 that's our sun. And now we're going to go 1,000 light years away. At 1,000 light years away, you, you wouldn't even see our sun anymore. These are just a bunch of stars close to it in this cluster inside the Milky Way. Now we're going to zoom out even further, and that's the Milky Way we live in. See that cluster of stars? Those are about 100,000 stars that are closest to our sun. You can't see our sun anymore at this point. Now this is our Milky Way galaxy, and forget about the Earth. Okay, there's our Milky Way galaxy that we live in, um, and we're just buried in there somewhere. And we're going to pull out even further, and you'll see that our galaxy is actually, it's, it's a big galaxy, and, uh, and all those other things you're seeing now are galaxies. And we're going to pull away 10 million light years now. His next scene is 10 million light years. Those are all galaxies you see amidst our Milky Way, several hundred galaxies. Now we're going to go 100 million light years away. This is the last one. We're going to zoom out to 100 million light years. Those are all clusters of galaxies. Galaxies and clusters of galaxies. You won't even see our Milky Way galaxy anymore amidst that. We don't have telescopes that go beyond that little sphere there. All right, now to put that into perspective for you, he stopped at 100 million light years. It's estimated that our universe is actually 14 billion light years wide. You're saying, well, how big is that exactly? Well, the first thing we need to understand is, well, what is a light year? Well, a light year is simply the distance that light travels in one year. It's not a measurement of time. It's literally a measurement of miles. So what is a light year? Well, first of all, you need to understand that light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Let me say that again. Light travels at a speed of 186,000 miles per second. That works out to be 5 trillion miles in one year. So a light year is 5 trillion miles wide. So then, how big is our universe? Well, we would need to take 5 trillion, multiply it by 14 billion, and you come up with a really, really big number. It's 76 trillion. That is a seven with 22 zeros behind it. How big is that? Well, let me illustrate it for you with peas. How many of you like peas? You like to eat peas? Sometimes I just got to shake my head at the people I pastor. All right. If you were to go out and buy peas for some ungodly reason, and you wanted to fill your entire refrigerator full of peas, it would take one million peas to fill up your refrigerator. If you wanted to fill your entire house, let's say you have a three-bedroom house, basement, first floor, second floor, it would take one billion peas 
to fill an entire house. How big is 70 sextillion? Take the peas, take every bit of land, dry land that's on the earth, fill it with peas 230 feet deep. So it's a big number. And our universe is 70 sextillion miles wide. Here's the amazing part. Isaiah is talking in the Old Testament, and he says, when God sat down and he created the universe, he measured it from one end to the other, 70 sextillion miles from his thumb to his pinky. How big is your God that he measured all that from his thumb to his pinky? See, no matter how big you think God is, he's bigger. He is big. He is awesome. Why wouldn't you worship him? Why wouldn't you have a passion for him? Why wouldn't you tell other people about him? He's great. He is glorious. He is awesome. God knows every one of the stars that Francis Chan talked about there by name. Every book that's ever been written, every magazine that's ever been written, every word on every website that's ever been written, God knows that by memory. God is so creative that when he created the caterpillar, he put 228 distinct muscles just in its head alone. God is big. He is glorious. He is creative. Again, why wouldn't we want to worship him and talk about him? Here's the most amazing part. That big God knows the details of your life. Bill mentioned it earlier. He has the very hairs on your head numbered. He knows you, and here's what's amazing. He wants a relationship with you. This big God that that measured 70 sextillion miles from his thumb to his pinky, he looks down and he says, I want to have a relationship with each and every one of you because I love you and I care for you. My love for you is crazy. It's amazing, this God that created us. And David, as he's thinking about this, you know, God says, I'm going to be their God and and they're going to be my people. And David's like, us, me? And in verse 5, or actually in verse 4, he says, but why are people even important to you? Why do you take care of Human beings, I mean, David's asking a great question here. Why would God even think about us? And again, the answer is because God loves us. He loves us. This big God who is so creative that he, he made a universe 70 sextillion miles long. Now it's just in his spare time. It was just a little side project that he was doing. He creates this big universe. And he's like, man, I'm going to get really creative. I'm going to create this thing called the earth. And he creates 17 different species of just penguins. And he gets really creative, and he has 170,000 types of flowers. And he's just being really super creative. 
And the Bible says that it was all good, and God says that it's good. But he says there's something missing. I've created plants and the animals and, and all this big universe, but there's something missing. There's, there needs to be a, a creation that I can have a relationship with. So God takes the earth and he forms out of the dust of the ground man. And out of the man came woman. He says, ah, now it's really good. This is my masterpiece. This is my masterpiece. I mean, I've created them in my image. I've given them attributes that are a part of me. They're this great, big, glorious God. I've given them a part of me. And now we can have a relationship. But again, you know what we do so often? This great, big, glorious God, we reject Him and we sin against Him. We deny Him. And we we say that all this other stuff that's been created in this earth is more important than Him. And it just breaks His heart. But even in the midst of all that, God is still so crazy in love with you that He Himself came and died so that your sins could be forgiven. Man, he is awesome. He is glorious. Even before Beyonce was singing about crazy love, God was already living it out. Even when you're not thinking about him, he is thinking about you. Verse 5. David says, You made us a little lower than yourself, and you have crowned us with glory and honor. Again, look at that. God has crowned us with glory. Yes, he is glorious, and he is the one that deserves the ultimate worship, but he gave us so many of the same attributes as he has. We are his masterpiece. We can't deny him. Verses 6 to 8. David says, You let us rule everything that your hands have made, and you put it all under our power, the sheep and the cattle and every wild animal, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and all ocean creatures. We talked about this in the past series, and in the last series, I should say, that it's all God's anyway. He created it all, but yet he says, I'm going to give it to you. You're going to be the manager of my stuff. Man, that is so awesome to think about. He spoils us rotten. Instead of worshiping him and telling others about how great he is, we tend to think that the universe revolves around us. We try to get people to notice us. We think that we should be at the center of attention. And I hope what you're starting to see here this morning is how ridiculous that is. That instead of worshiping this great, big, glorious God, that you think that all the worship and honor should come to you. And again, I hope you're starting to see how ridiculous it is that we don't share our faith and tell others about this big, glorious God. We don't invite other people to to come in and experience him. We don't freely worship on Sunday mornings because we're afraid of, well, what will people think about me? Who cares what other people think about you? You should care about what this great, big God thinks about you. That's what's most important. Again, what's amazing is that even though we don't deserve it, God wants to have an intimate relationship with all of us. And so David concludes by returning back to his original thought, verse 9. He says, Lord, our Lord, 
God, Yahweh, Jesus, our God. How majestic is your name in all the earth. I'm going to ask you to stand your feet at this time. The worship team is going to come forward. As we wrap up today, I, I want you to practice in these next couple minutes and in this really this next week, just being in the presence of God. Forget about other people. In fact, I want you to even forget about what God asked you to do, because we think that, you know, this is just a big rule book and it's just all about God commanding me to do stuff. Forget about that for this week. This week, just practice being in the presence of God, because when you start to realize how big God is, how glorious he is, how awesome he is, and you just recognize that in every moment, you'll start to do the things that he wants you to do. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Just out of love, because he is crazy in love with you, and you'll fall crazy in love with him. So as we wrap up, another song that David writes is Psalm 63, verses 1 to 5. He writes this. He says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you, like in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will sing joyful praises and be filled with excitement like a guest at a banquet. See, when we come in here on Sunday mornings, we should be as passionate about Jesus as we are a guest at a being a guest at a banquet. We should be as passionate about him as if though our team won the Super Bowl. David says here, I lift up my hands to you. Why? Because it's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of worship. That Jesus, I love you. And your love is greater than even life itself. So this morning again, I want you just to start to practice the presence of God. Forget about everyone else that's in this room. It's just you and this great big God who measured one end of the universe from his thumb to his pinky. Doesn't he deserve your worship and your passion?
love is so great for us. And the most awesome thing is that he just won't stop relenting in his love. And I just hope this morning that he just sets our hearts on fire for him. That he can come be the passion in our hearts this morning.
God, we just thank you that your love just does not relent in chasing after us. And so, Father God, I just pray this morning that we would just worship you in the fullness of how great and how strong and how awesome you are this morning. So, Father God, let our lives just be lifted up to you in full-out praise. Let's sing together our God, the great God that we have who's healer, who's awesome in power, who's stronger and greater than we could ever imagine.
special song for you this morning. Many of you, I think, know this song. And uh, once we get to How Great Thou Art, I just want you to sing it with your, all your passion. That God, how great you are.
sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Have a great week, everyone. You are dismissed knowing how great our God is. Woo!